And when you're experiencing suffering, it's easy to have a, a belief in God that's um, you know in your mind, but in your heart and your bones, there's all sorts of questions that begin to mount. Do yeah. you think God is okay with us questioning um, and having questions of doubt and despair? And 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 what if someone gets stuck in a spiritual place where all they're dealing with is just too difficult to believe that God is with them? Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host. And this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary a historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. This podcast episode is presented to you by the Forum for Theological Exploration. Founded in 1954, FTE is a leadership incubator that inspires young people to make differences in the world through Christian communities. In 2017, Kimberly Daniel and Stephen Lewis began hosting small gatherings of entrepreneurs, pastors, and community leaders at FTE. What they learned about how people are working at the intersection of church, community, and business inspired them. From San Diego to Chicago, Christians are disrupting age-old practices of innovation. In a new book, A Way Out of No Way, An Approach of Christian Innovation, Kimberly and Stephen share what their work as leaders of FTE and co-founders of Do Good X, a community for underrepresented social entrepreneurs, has helped them understand about what it means to innovate as Christians. Their book is a blueprint for learning how entrepreneurs, congregations, and organizations are making a way out of no way to help their communities thrive. Read what endorser Jennifer Bailey and Brian McLaren and others say about A Way Out of No Way and purchase or download a copy for entrepreneurs in your family, congregation, 
our community. Learn more at fteleaders.org backslash away out of no way. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Ann Voskamp. She is a New York Times bestselling author with books such as The Broken Way and The Greatest Gift. She was named by Christianity Today as one of the 50 women most shaping culture and the church today. She's also the co-founder of showupnow.com. Anne, thank you for joining the conversation. So grateful to be here, Andy. Thank you. You know, it's not every day that an author we have on the podcast has uh, written words so powerfully affecting others that it's translated in over 20 different languages. <laughs> so, so when you started, uh, you know, off writing, did you imagine your audience would grow to, to be labeled as uh, global? <laughs> you can hear my sense of humor. I know, <laughs> not in any capacity. And really, I really believe God takes our very little loaves and fishes, our meager offerings that we give to him, um, and he multiplies them and does with them as he sees fit. So if the words have gone anywhere in the world and served anybody in any place, that's that's something miraculous the Lord did. Um, my offering was pretty, pretty feeble, Andy. And I really believe like 1,000 gifts moving out into the world isn't really about the book or the writing. It's about what does it mean to be a people of gratitude, a people who give thanks in all things through everything. And it's it's what God has called us to live as grateful people who deeply trust that everything he's giving is a gift. That posture of gratitude is, is what is actually powerful, not the book itself. It was just me writing the journey of what it means to live as a grateful person and how it changed my life and other people finding, yes, it changed their lives too. All right. So I'm going to go with Canadian humility for that answer. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but why do you think so many people resonate with your particular style and the particular themes you, you write about? Oh, well, <laughs> I think lots of people, I think, well, actually, Andy, it's a very good question. I think when I am writing, I am writing in a vertical space. That's often when I'm thinking and writing words down, it's, it's me pouring my heart out in a really vulnerable space between me and God. So the space when I'm writing is a really vertical and lots of times, um, <laughs> When, I, when books go out into the world and people are holding them in their hands, think, oh my, they're holding my heart in their hands. I have been very, very vulnerable, but I'm not doing it thinking about the readers as much as I'm thinking about my own um, communion with God. And I think though, that's what resonates with the reader who picks up the book is this ushers them to be vulnerable with God in a way that perhaps they haven't considered, that it, it ushers them into a conversation and a communion with God that um, that is deeply healing and transformational for them. And I, I forget who said it, Andy, but um, as a writer, <laughs> a great writer, who said that um, unless there is are tears in the reader or the writer, there are no tears in the reader. And I, for me, it's unless I have personally encountered God in the writing, the reader won't encounter God in the reading. So for me, the, the writing is a very, um, a very intimate um, 
conversation, communion, encounter with God that I hope that when, a, when someone picks up any of my books that on every single page, they get their own intimate encounter and experience with God so that they are not the same. They are changed at the end of the book. As I mentioned in the opener, you're the co-founder of showupnow.com. This is a, a fascinating um, organization. T tell us more about it. Yeah, so um, I have actually, you know, writing out, I was dared to write down 100 and then I ended up, <laughs> give me a dare and I'll really go for it. So I ended up writing down a thousand things I was grateful for. And, and the act of contemplating the gifts that God gives us moved me to become an activist in the sense that I realized I was living underneath a Niagara Falls of God's grace and that a gift is never meant to be handed over to someone and, and not be passed on. A gift always is a gift. It's always meant to move out into the world. So as I counted down gifts, grace upon grace upon grace, I became an activist. Then how do I move this grace out into the world and realizing that we are all, we're all Esthers in the palace in the, all these riches of Christ. And now we have to, we have a responsibility with them, with those riches of Christ, then to live cruciform, to, to, to pass on those gifts, live like a cross given to those on the other side of the gate, to those who are lost in a world without Christ, to those who are needy and oppressed and marginalized, to those who are suffering deep injustices. So um, after writing 1000 gifts, I've partnered with several organizations, um, Mercy House Global, Compassion International, um, and traveled the world to, to tell stories, um, amplify voices, so that people can go ahead and take the gifts that they've been given and then step into the meaningfulness and joy of passing those gifts on. And um, one of the individuals that I've traveled with um, is Esther Havens. Um, and uh, Esther is a humanitarian photographer who deeply loves Jesus. And we talked a lot about what does it mean to be a kind of, the kind of person who shows up now as the hands and feet of Jesus, the heart of Christ, who, who has the graces and the gifts of Christ in hand and reaches out to those locally in their own community and those around the world who are in need. So um, actually at the beginning of the pandemic, Andy, um, we, Esther and I were having this conversation about how do we encourage people to live this kind of show up now kind of life. And we saw um, our good friend, Jefferson Bethke online. He was trying to help at the very beginning of the pandemic, just with like a really grassroots kind of um, spreadsheet. People could go ahead and log in where they were and what their needs were. And somebody else in the world could come alongside and say, well, hey, I could help meet that need. So we, um, so it was Jefferson Bethke, um, Jessica Kim, um, Christine Kane, um, Esther Havens and I have um, all come together to look, to think about how do we go ahead and think about globally and locally being the kind of people who show up now as we call it the, the global, <laughs> that you are both global and locally showing up. And then so after, um, the disaster that happened in Beirut, Lebanon, um, with the explosion that completely devastated the port in Beirut. We wanted to partner with, we want only, Show Up Now only wants to partner with organizations that truly have the gospel of Jesus Christ at the, their very heart. So that it, as we reach out into the world, we're not stealing any of the glory and the adoration 
that belongs to Jesus Christ. So um, Esther and I had already worked with the organization Horizons uh, in Beirut, and we're able to immediately connect with them. And um, just over, I don't know, 48 hours, 72 hours, raised a quarter of a million dollars to reach out there in Beirut and to help them actually go door to door, um, actually trying to be the hands and feet of people who had lost everything in Beirut. So that really is the heart of Show Up Now, is um, how do we take the gifts and the grace that we have been given and show up for those who are hurting so that they know Christ is real in this world and he sees their need. And we get to um, enter into the co-sufferings of Christ by meeting those needs. If someone wants to get involved, um, what does that look like? So just as we transition now out of the pandemic and how can we then start to reach out more in a, a comprehensive local sense and in a global sense, if you check with us on um, social media at Show Up Now or um, just at the website showupnow.org, uh, we are really looking for partners who really who want to be the kind of people who say, I've been given so much. How do I now live like Christ and live given out into a heartbroken world? So you have a new book coming out, Waymaker. You're yeah. inviting readers to find the way um, to the life they've dreamed of. However, woven into this book is so much of your life story and the intersection of, of loss and devastation and heartbreak and, and so much more. You wrote by the lie that your life is supposed to be heaven on earth and suffering can be torturous hell, but accept and expect that life is a battle, then suffering is but a part of earth's topography to cross on your way to heaven. Walk us through uh, the, the drive behind writing this book now. I think, um, I think right now, this particular cultural moment, Andy, we have come through so much in the last two years. I mean, the last five to 10 years, um, but particularly the pandemic and um, so much hopelessness and upending of life as we know it, um, and a lot of despair and a lot of loneliness. And there's a lot of, uh, I believe we have in these internal expectational positioning systems, so not GPS, but EPS, expectations of where we thought we should be in our life, expectations of where we thought we would be on the road. And if we're honest, where we would be compared to other people. And I think um, a lot of us, there's a sense of, is my life turning out the way I thought it would? Is my life meeting the expectations um, that I had for my life? And I think oftentimes our EPS, that expectational positioning system can lie to us about, about what the real landscape of life is. A lot of times, I know, looking back at my own life, Andy, I mean, so much of this book is a confessional about my own, the way my head was turned in the wrong direction. And if your head and heart is turned in the wrong direction, you're going to end up in the wrong destination, at the wrong destination. Um, But that my own heart was turned that, how do I avoid all roads of suffering? And I think so many of the cultural narratives are that if you are living your life well, if you are like everybody else, you should avoid all these roads of pain and heartbreak. And if I am, um, especially sometimes there can be kind of a post prosperity gospel that if, if I, a formula, if I do everything right in Christ, then I should have a life like I always dreamed of. And I think for us to go ahead and we need 
a different map in our mind, a map that actually meets the ground that we're walking here, which is a broken world. And to realize that, to realize ultimately, um, we, it's not that um, suffering doesn't mean that you're cursed. Suffering means that you're human in a broken world. And the question isn't why is there suffering in my life, but why wouldn't there be suffering in this life? And I guess maybe the book really is me unpacking about life is really hard because that is the reality of being alive. And we really need to think through our own expectational positioning systems and get those oriented to scripture, get those oriented to God himself. And then realizing that the way to the life we've always dreamed of isn't to um, some kind of promised land we've configured up in our own minds, but it actually is not to a promised land, but to the promise of a person, of a relationship with the way himself. As you were... Um you know, talking about, we, we all have expectations. We all have expectations for our life, the dreams we have, the spouses we might marry, the children we might have, uh, the jobs we'll hold, the places we'll, we'll travel to. You know, I, I think so many, you know, so many times in our life when we run into crisis and conflict, it's like clashing of expectations with reality. Yes. And, and I think well-intended, you know, followers of Jesus feel like they have shaped their expectations around what God desires, but so much of our life is shaped around so many different things. And it's like, we we're asking God to come alongside our expectations and bless them. So, you know, yes. in what ways have you learned the difference between, you know, that shaping our expectations and expecting God to bless them and our expectations being shaped by what God desires for us? I think ultimately what God desires for us more than anything else. And I think that's, that's where we really have to um, examine our own expectations. God's expectations and his desires for humanity is to be in deep relationship with him. So do I want a, an intimate relationship and communion with Christ? Do I see that as my promised land? Or if I really am reflective and honest and examine my own heart, does my heart have an expectational positioning system that's directing me towards comfort, towards cultural success towards um, my own envisionment of, of the promised land. And I, so are we looking at relationship or are we looking at some kind of culturally informed destination? And I think, um, I think when we start to reorient our hearts to see that the arriving is deep attachment with Christ himself, we look at what what did Christ die for? What is the atonement for? It's at one meant to be at one with Christ. That's what humanity is made for. That's where we become fully human. That's where we experience. We think we want the promised land. But ultimately, what that is 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 shalom. It, it is wholeness. It is completeness, and that is found in Christ alone. So when we start to reorient our hearts so that our expectational positioning systems actually accurately reflect reality, we can start to see that the painful situations in our life, the heartbreak in our life, the obstacles in our life, as I say over and over in Waymaker, the obstacle is the miracle. And what I mean by that is what looks like it's in the way, that it's blocking the way to what our hearts may want. God may be using that obstacle as the miracle that draws us closer 
into him, to lean on him, to seek his face, to be in prayer, to, to, to desire deeper intimacy and fulfillment and communion with him. So I think Waymaker really is about telling really difficult stories, intimate stories, vulnerable stories, my mothering stories, my marriage stories, um, and looking at where my own heart was turned, my own expectational positioning system, and then how do I reorient that, that God is using everything. The Waymaker is making the way not to some dreamed up promised land. The Waymaker is making the way to me all of the time so that I may have deeper communion with him. Do I really believe that that is the life I want, the life I dream of? Or do I have idols in my own heart that are directing me and redirecting me towards something else? You referred to suffering earlier, saying suffering doesn't mean you're cursed, suffering means you're human. You know, all of us grew up in a church and learned the story of Job, um, yes. you know, one of the most gut-wrenching tragedies to befall a person in the Bible. And the lesson taught to us was just stay faithful to God, even in the face of tragedy. And all of us learn the lesson, hoping and praying that we wouldn't experience it. Um, as you have faced suffering in your life, how did you theologically work through what you were experiencing? No, what I think to understand, honestly, Andy, that suffering is part of any road that any heart has ever known and trying to avoid suffering at all costs is actually what causes all kinds of unnecessary suffering. And whatever the story or form of our suffering, it can be in the hands of God transformed into a restorative story. God will restore us and that suffering always happens on the way. And there's always a way through the suffering to experience more of Christ. And I think ultimately when we see I think lots of times in suffering, we want, we say we want an explanation for why the suffering, but really the most tender, broken places in our hearts. An explanation is cold. What we really want is an experience of God, his, his presence, his arms close to us is warm and is caring. And he says, he's, isn't the God who gives us explanations. He is the God who is with us in suffering. And it turns out, I think when we look at all of the suffering that we all experience, it turns out that you can be bankrupted or shamed, walked down on labeled, ghosted, diagnosed, abandoned, cut off, humiliated, guilty, fired. I mean, you name it, it can happen to you. But really at ocean floor, the base is when you know you're fully known and still fully loved, nothing can scare you. And I think for me, that was the bottom line in, in Waymaker, as I tell these stories, where there are obstacles, there are things in the way, things don't turn out as I hope, as I tell our adoption story, as I tell our marriage story, these love stories, I ultimately realized God is love, and he is with us in the suffering, and there is absolutely nothing to be afraid of when you know that you, at base floor, that floor is never going to give out, that you are ultimately loved by God, nothing can happen to you that is going to um, leave you abandoned, or rejected, or alone. He is the God who is with us. And so Waymaker really is about, do I have, I think we all the times we want a way out, or a way through. 
And we need to sit and see, do I have a way of life that keeps me in company with the way himself? So Waymaker is really unpacking where I saw obstacles and things in my way. God gave me a way of life, a rule of life, a habit of life, a rhythm and cadence that I pick up every single day, spiritual disciplines that keep me in close company with the way himself. And he himself is the promised land. He himself becomes the dream and the home that we are all desperately searching for. And I unpack what that actually looks like, because I think lots of times we have theology in our head, but what does that look like? If you can't incarnate it at the, at the kitchen sink, it hasn't really translated. This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around the world. CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your ministry. CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package, including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. And when you're experiencing suffering, it's easy to have a belief in God that's, um, you know, in your mind, but in your heart and your bones, there's all sorts of questions that begin to mount. Do yeah. you think God is okay with us questioning um, and having questions of doubt and despair? And, and, and what if someone gets stuck in a spiritual place where all they're dealing with is just too difficult to believe that God is with them? Oh, First of all, I want to reach out to that person and grab their hand and say, you aren't alone. You are not alone. I think, I think all of us, um, I know uh, in the last year of my life, um, there've been some things that have happened that aren't written about in Waymaker that, um, that yes, left us in the, the deep shadows of the valley of, of death. And uh, I understand what that feels like. We're like, are you really with me, God? Have I lost the way? Has the way I've used still, are you still coming after me? And sometimes it can feel like you've, you've lost all hope in God and um, to reorient to the fact that hope 
never loses track of us so we cannot lose hope and I think um I think in the midst of of deep suffering you mentioned earlier Andy Job I returned to the book of Job mainly because <laughs> there was a point in this past year where my there was a cascading series of events and I ended up in emerge and my therapist actually ended up texting me <laughs> and said only one line and Job thought he had it bad. It's <laughs> like, ah, yes, I do sometimes feel like Job and how, so turned, for me, it's been returning to the book of Job. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? You look towards the end of Job. And, and Job has these questions of God. God's big enough for all of those questions and all of those doubts. And you can bang on the chest of God and, and the the, the God wants us to be the wrestlers with him who stay attached to him, even if we're pounding on his chest with a million doubts and questions and, and anger. And, and we see that through scripture. God is big enough and he wants us to stay in that kind of honest, vulnerable communication and um, wrestle with him. And then what does God say in the book of Job? He's talking about, well, do you know how to bring the sun across the sky? Do, do you know how to make the snow fall? Do you, all of these acts that happen in creation, if we don't know the answers <laughs> to those things that we see around us every single day, if we don't have the power to do those things, because we are not God, can I trust that God's ways are higher than my ways? And I don't, I don't mean that as a cop-out, Andy. I mean that as a bent, surrendered knee. And to trust that, um, that honestly, if, um, can I trust that God's ways are um, beyond my ways? I wouldn't want a God that can be so small that I would understand all of his ways. What kind of God would that really be, Andy? Yeah, I think one of the, the many um, uh, toxic might be a, a yeah. really negative term, but one of the toxic natures of the popular Christian movement is, is image and everyone wants to act like they have it all put together, except, yes. when, you know, we discovered that those who thought they had it together the most actually don't. And I'm not talking about the great fall of public figures to some sort of scandal, but, but the culture that hides away the setbacks and chaos and tragedy in our life, as if it makes us less than to admit that we have these things. So yeah. what is it, uh, uh, what is it about parts of the Christian culture that, that's so willing to put up a front of perfection and live instead of living a life of humble transparency. You know, the idea of being, being that I don't have this all figured out, but I'm trying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think I wrote about as so much of the, the essence and the message of the broken way is that definitely forgot that God is on the side of the broken. God is with those who are suffering. So there is no shame in saying, I am broken, I am suffering, I am limping, and I am leaning hard on Jesus. And when we go ahead as, I think lots of times we think, we put on a mask and a facade that we have it all together, that we don't have doubts, that we don't have questions, that we're not wrestling, that, that this way through a broken-hearted world isn't really hard. Because we think, forgive us, Lord, we think Jesus needs good PR. We think that like we now need to become the salesman of Jesus, as opposed to really believing what scripture says that in our weakness, 
his strength is perfected. His light, his glory, what he can do is most seen and exalted. And people are drawn to that through our own brokenness. So I, and I think lots of times when we try to have a perfect facade that we have it all together, I think unintentionally and maybe even unconsciously, we're stealing glory away from Jesus where he is supposed to get all the glory for working through our, our brokenness. So I, I think we need to think about if we are people who at the very center of our faith is the Lord's Supper. We are a Eucharistic people who believe that Jesus took the bread, what God gives, and gives thanks. So we are a people who are Eucharistic. We are a people who live gratitude. And then what do we do after that gratefulness? Christ breaks the bread and passes it on. We are to realize that we are the broken. We are not God. We do not have it all together. And we are to live broken out into a broken heart and world. The message of the broken way is do not be afraid of being a broken thing. Do not be afraid of broken things. That's exactly where Christ can do a new thing. That is exactly where Christ can write a redemptive new story. So just like a a seed is crushed and is broken in the ground, that has to happen for there to be new life. So I think can the DNA of us who are believers, can the DNA of the church, can we who are in Christ live a kind of brokenheartedness that allows the, the full richness and glory and supremacy and all sufficiency of Christ be seen through our brokenness? The ancients held a belief, um, you know, that there's this creature called the phoenix, which burst into flames at the end of its life and was reborn from the ashes of suffering. Yes. You know, in many regards, experiencing remarkable challenges remakes us. God, if we're willing, can reform us from the ashes of our suffering. Yes. Um, you know, how have you experienced this uh, in your life? That's such a good question, Andy. I think out of those ashes, there can be rebirth, a reforming. And I think both in broken way and in way maker, what is really critical, I, I, both books talk about what does it mean to live cruciform? What does it mean to live formed and shaped like a cross? Which in many ways is like, ashes. It's like dying to self. It's like allowing the suffering to come and live with this posture of um, vulnerability, our arms wide open to receive it. It's with our arms wide open to um, embrace whatever God gives, to embrace the suffering as we enter into the sufferings of Christ and trust that in that posture of cruciformity, in that posture of surrender, in that posture of living given to God and to people, out of that posture that culture might see as, well, does see as foolishness, does see as death, does see as powerless, that out of that posture of cruciformity and cruciformation is ultimately transformation, is ultimately reformation and new life and growth. So um, in Waymaker, as I talk about what is your way of life with the way himself that will take you through the Red Sea, through whatever is in your way, 
ultimately at the, the very center of that way of life is every day, me sitting down with a pen, writing out crucifixion in my, in my journal um, and asking the Lord, Lord, how are you asking me to live cruciform today? What do I need to surrender to you? What do I need to sacrifice? How do you want me to live with my, my hands literally stretched open like a cross? How do I reach for you, Lord? And how do I reach for other people? So I think when Waymaker really is unpacking about how do you have an intentional way of life that allows you to live counterculture, cruciformity being the very crux and center of that, such that there is always a way through everything because you are living the way of Jesus. In the book, you you talk about creating a, a rule of life. Uh, this, yeah. of course, is a tradition that stretches back to the early monastic movement with folks like yeah. Benedict, uh, you know, fourth, fifth century monk. Um, it's about a way of life, a pattern to live and to be shaped by. Yeah. What is your rule of life and how did you discover it? Yeah, so Waymaker tells this story. Um, for me, it really came out of Exodus 14 and opening up scripture. Waymaker tells a couple of really powerful encounters and experiences with God that were undeniable and um, really <laughs> um, sort of, we were left gob, gob smacked and God awed um, by how God had um, met us. And one of them was out of Exodus and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And so as I sat with scripture open and really looked at what is happening here, what is the way through when it seems to be no way? What is your way through when you're facing a Red Sea? And what is a way of life that creates a Red Sea road through that Red Sea? And, and really analyzing, studying Exodus 14, and then what does it look like in the New Testament? Um, so lots of times when we have something in our way, we want to to battle, to forge forward, strategize, come up with a plan, um, <laughs> network. We see in Exodus 14, the first step in a rule of life, a way of life is um, God said, be still. God will go to battle for you. God will do the battle. So I think lots of times we want to do something and God is asking us to trust enough to be still, which is profoundly countercultural in a, in a hustle culture. Um, what does it look like every day to begin a day with stillness that says, I trust that you're on the throne. I can take my hands off my life because um, my Abba father is the king of the universe and he's in control of everything. So that rule of life begins with stillness. You've seen Exodus 14. What does it look like to, to pay attention to how God is at work? God asks questions of Moses. So do we see through scripture that God asks questions of people? Lots of times we've talked a lot here, Andy, about when we have doubts and questions and wrestlings with God. So we have questions of God, but God also has questions of us. He, he asks questions like, who do you say that I am? He asks Hagar, where are you coming from and where are you going to? Jesus asked in the New Testament, what do you want? So part of my rule of life every day is being attentive enough to answer God's questions every day. I don't think you really can move through a day without really being able to say as a believer, who do I say that God is? If I know, if I have that established and grounded and rooted every day, that starts to reorient the topography of my heart, where I'm turned and how I'm going to walk through the day. So answering those questions every day, then 
I look at cruciformity. How do I need to live cruciform today? Um, the next is always revelation. R, how has God revealed himself to me in scripture? Lots of times we say we want a way through, but we actually haven't spent time in scripture where the word himself is speaking to us. And he, he is a, he's a, Jonathan Edwards says that God is a communicative God. He communicates with us. So have I sat in his presence today with his word open before me to allow God to give me a fresh revelation of himself? And then always every day examine it. I'm examining my own heart. Uh, the, one of the most asked questions in scripture is what are you afraid? Do not be afraid. What are you afraid of? So asking my own heart, so much of our lives are driven by fears. So spending time to really analyze and reflect on those fears. And then I'm um, always D, doxology. Am I living a life that's Eucharistic, a life that is giving thanks and making sure every day that I am in turn toward the Lord in worship and writing down the things I'm deeply, deeply grateful for. So um, that rule of life actually spells the word sacred because I really believe that the way of life that God wants us to live is a life that um, is set apart for him, which is what sacred means. Uh, so to have a habit and a rhythm and a cadence through life that is set apart, because I believe we see those Israelites when they left Egypt, God wasn't just calling them out to the promised land to be left to their own devices. He's calling them out of bondage to cross the Red Sea to worship him. And the actual word in Hebrew is is bonding. So out of one bondage to bonding. And I believe that our way of life is to set us apart for bonding with God so that we are not in bondage to the principalities and uh, of this world. And our, our the life we're most desperately are dreaming of is a life that is deeply, intimately bonded with God himself, which is for me what that, that way of life sacred is really about, Andy. What's your hope for your readers? Yeah, <laughs> I will they make a really it, it is a um, it's a story that unpacks a lot of deep theology about suffering, about pain, about who God is, about deep questions in the human heart. But it's really a, it is a story driven book where I am telling and not anecdotal stories. I'm telling. Um, story arcs from beginning to end. And I think Waymaker is, um, is about saying, look at you are going to face your own Red Seas. You are going to face tsunamis of crises and suffering. And if you haven't yet, we all face it at some point in time. Do you have a way of life that holds back the waves? Do you have a way of life with the way himself that keeps you in close communion with him, that keeps you in, in intimate company with him so that when that tsunami hits, you have a way of life to hold back those waves and to keep walking with Jesus himself. So I'm hoping that yes, the story resonates deeply with your own story of obstacles and suffering and questions but I'm also really, I mean, as you see, when we get to the end of the book, we actually give you the tools sacred and lay it out how, how you can have that, that practice every single day. Um, stillness, attentiveness, cruciformity, revelation, examine, doxology. So you can have a way of life that keeps you in close company with Jesus. Because I really believe that for any of us to move forward, we need to have intentionality um, so that we are ready for the heartache. We're ready for when we go through that valley of the shadow of death. Everyone needs to have a way of life 
so that they can find a way forward that actually looks like they are following the way of Jesus. So I've got a hunch that you're working on something next. You want to give us a sneak peek into it? <laughs> oh, all the things all at once. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am. I'm on. I'm writing right now. Um, actually, it's uh, for Tyndale. I'm writing a book that really is heart apologetics. It's answering the cries of the human heart. So really looking at what you and I've talked about, Andy, those questions that we are afraid to ask out loud. You'll see all the way through the Psalms. David says things we think, oh my goodness, you can't say those kinds of things to God, but that those are the cries of the human heart. So I am unpacking. Um, there are apologetics that deal with um, more cerebral uh, conversations and debates and scientific um, back and forth. These really are hard apologetics, the questions you wish you could say out loud. Um, so I am in the midst of writing that and at the same time, I am, um, this past 1,000 gifts opens with um, my sister, uh, my younger sister um, being crushed and killed in front of my mother and I, she was run over in um, our farmyard at home when I was four years old. Um, and this past year, just actually um, a week and a half, 10 days, after I handed in Waymaker, um, my father was killed in the same farmyard, um, run over and killed by a tractor. Um, so I am unpacking. On one side, I'm writing heart cries. Um, and on the other side, I am unpacking what does it look like to walk through deep trauma in a way that the trauma doesn't destroy you, but that the trauma actually grows you. Because I really do believe that um, everybody in a broken world that is waiting, it is already bought by Christ, but is also almost, we are not in the finished state of the kingdom of God being ushered in. So in this in a broken world, we are all going to face trauma. So how can that trauma actually produce growth in us as opposed to destroying us? So um, so I think actually in all of my books, 1,000 Gifts, Broken Way, Waymaker, the next two books to come, I am unpacking what does it look like to be someone who deeply trusts in the goodness of God while we live in a world of suffering and heartbreak. And I think that's the question we're all trying to wrestle out, Andy. And I believe with every fiber of my being, after a very difficult year, and the story I write about in Waymaker through our adoption and our marriage, um, I believe that God is more than merely good. God is profoundly kind. And we are always deeply, deeply loved. Um, extend a, a, a also with our audience, um, you know, our, our, our grief and thoughts with you as you lose your father in such a, a horrible way and processing all that. And, um, you know, thank you for your strength to not only deal with those things, but then vulnerably share that experience with those who, read and listen to your work well i think you know 
It's very kind of you, Andy, thank you. Um, to come back after I'd submitted Waymaker and to, to read through, do the edits and the proofs. Um, and to think about what is the way, like it does, does all the theology in this book hold up now that I'm living a deeper trial than I had ever imagined. And um, to read a book that I'd written in a different period in time, minister back to me in the deepest grief of my life um, was again, the goodness and kindness of the Lord. Well, our guest is Anne Voskamp, and the book is Waymaker, and you can learn more about Anne's writing at annvoskamp.com. Um, and thank you for making the time to have this conversation. Um, and what an incredible invitation you are extending to all of us to find the way mm -hmm. through actually finding a way of life. Yeah. And I think that when you, even when you say it, Andy, my heart leaps, finding the way, he is far more beautiful and worthy and real and intimate than we could ever have imagined. And he is the dream that we've all been seeking. And the closer we move into that reality and live that reality, the more it enlarges our hearts and fulfills us in abundant ways that um, we're just desperate to share with other people. There is a way through and there is a way across our Red Sea and his name is Jesus and it is found at the foot of the cross. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. BSK offers multiple ways to pursue theological education, helping you learn and grow in your area of ministry. Programs include a 75-hour Master of Divinity degree with concentration in BSK's areas of emphasis, including Black Church Studies, Rural Ministry, and Pastoral Care. For ordained ministers or lay leaders alike, BSK offers nine-hour certificates in Black Church Studies, Rural Ministries, and Pastoral Care, as well as two Exploring Ministry certificates for general ministry training. BSK also offers additional subject-specific training with Flourish workshops in subjects such as Introduction to Youth Ministry, Essentials in Youth Ministry, and the upcoming The Flight of the Soul of America. Now enrolling for fall 2022. Apply today at bsk.edu. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support. 